Sit down at my table Put your mind at ease If you relax, it will enable me To do anything I please I can read your future I can change it around some too I look deep into your heart and soul You do have a soul, don't you, Lawrence? Make your wildest dreams come true I got voodoo, I got hoodoo I got things I ain't even tried And I got friends on the other side He's got friends on the other side The cards Hey everybody, this is Sandra and welcome to show 22 of Toon Talks Podcast Today's guest is Bruce Smith a highly respected animator currently directing at Paramount Animation I completely admire Bruce's work it's so full of charm and character and appeal he supervised Kerchak in Tarzan, Pacha in The Emperor's New Groove, Kanga, Rue and Piglet in Winnie and the Pooh, and Dr. Facilier in Princess and the Frog, but the list goes on. I'm delighted we had friends in common that could put us in touch, and I'm grateful to Bruce for being so open with his advice. It really was inspiring and educating to talk to him. So please enjoy my conversation about animation with Bruce Smith. There we go. <laughs> it's really nice to see you. It's great to see you too, Sandra. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm uh, I'm good. I'm well. Just uh, plotting through uh, all this development here over Paramount. Well, congratulations on you know moving up to directing at Paramount. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I was here directing before. So um, okay. you know, well, I wasn't actually physically here on the lot. We were when I made uh, Baby's Kids. We were in Glendale, but we made the movie for Paramount. Paramount. I see. Yes. Awesome. So, uh, so yeah, so sitting back here in this director's chair again. Nice. Always fun. Well, thanks for taking out the time because I know directors are super busy, so I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. No doubt. I mean, you know, listen, it's, it's fun to take a break to, uh, you know, you can sort of be in this sort of bubble for a while, so sometimes you need a break, kind of look outside of it and, you know, take a breath. Yeah, it's oh. true. That's true. Yeah. Cool. Well, will we get going? Absolutely. I know you've got, I'm going to make sure I get you out of here by one. I know you've got uh, <laughs> teaching to do. Yeah, I'm sorry, because I, I normally was, wasn't busy today, but somebody was at six, so they asked me to come in, and I thought, I can come in after lunch. But... That's great. So now tell me what you're teaching. Animation. Um, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I had a mentor here when I first moved to Vancouver, because I'm from Ireland, and it, the culturally it's so different. He took me under his wing, and he was super nice to me, and he helped me out with my animation, and I started to see him maybe once every two, three months, and then once every month, and then once every couple of weeks and eventually he was like, we have a position here, do you just want to come and teach? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, so it was super fun. So I help him out when I'm in between work. I, I just finished up at Sony and I'm moving on to another studio here called Braun. And uh, so I'm in between and I'm just helping them out here and there. So. Oh, fantastic, okay. So are you, where are you physically? In Vancouver. Okay, gotcha. Actually, right. do you know Mark Pudliner? I do know Mark. I'm teaching with him. That's oh, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> It's a small world. <laughs> it is, yeah. Mark sat next door to me when we were over at Disney, I think. A couple doors down. Wow. Think so. Yeah, um, and, and then we worked at Bluth together for a minute. Oh, you worked at Bluth as well? Worked at Bluth a long time ago. So, yeah, so I was, I when I came out of CalArts, um, I was working at the studio, uh, Carter Mendez. And Bill Mendez knew Don Bluth because he was doing like a... Uh, uh, some test animation for a project that Don wanted to do, mm. and and we had just finished working on 
a project that it closes doors. But uh, Phil was like, hey, come to my studio. You can help me sort of craft this project, yada, yada. And so Phil let Don Bluth know that, hey, I got a couple of CalArts guys over here. We're actually sort of uh, looking for work if you want to see him. And Don was really sort of like sour on CalArts guy. Yeah. Because he had a bad experience with um, uh, knuckleheads like Brad Bird and, <laughs> you know, uh, Jerry Reese and these guys. Yeah. The thing is that, and I say knucklehead in all reference, I love Brad. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm saying this is Don's POV, right? Yeah. Because, um, I guess their sort of, you know, rambunctious, you know, creative spirit was a bit too much for, for old school Don to kind of handle. So, um, uh, so, and, and these guys are from CalArts. So I think Don kind of had a roundabout opinion uh, on CalArts students. Yeah. And so when it came down to, you know, the word CalArts, Don was really sort of sour on it. So, but when he met uh, myself and Chris Wall, and uh, who worked at Disney for a while also. So when he met us, uh, he actually liked us because I guess because we were sort of docile and yeah. and uh, sort of very green and and uh, was was you know into the Kool Aid that uh, Don Bluth was serving at the time. <laughs> and, and to be honest, I, I had a really great time working with Don. Then uh, mm-hmm. we were working on Space Ace and and Dragon's Lair and and awesome. and really some fun projects. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, I was sipping the Kool Aid happily. <laughs> nice. uh, just because it was great to be an animator Don actually brought us in as animators and, and to be animating on like full blown action stuff yeah. you know was, was really at that time in the industry when the only thing that was really popping was Alvin and the Chipmunks and Care Bears I and Strawberry Shortcake yeah. so that wasn't necessarily my speed yeah. and so I, w- I was happy to be working on something that sort of really took the idea of full animation, classical animation is what Don called back in the day, and uh, and, and really uh, uh, be able to help refine uh, my skill set. So yeah. that, that was fun. You worked on Garfield as well, did you, in the TV show Garfield? And that was like, that, that's so funny that's in my profile. I did work on that. I remember meeting uh, uh, Mr. Melendez, and, and I just kind of picked up some freelance, and I forget how that happened, but uh, that was my first screen credit. I was really excited. <laughs> <laughs> about that i was an assistant animator i was cleaning up some stuff and uh, and it was right in between don bluth and the carter mendez days where i was just kind of picking up freelancing yeah. in there because i was still sort of trying to make this a career type of thing you know and i remember picking up that work and and uh mr melendez was a great he was really a nice guy and i think i met bill roman over there also because i think he was the director on it i think and um, so, yeah, that was my first screen credit. I was happy because I was sitting there watching with my mom. I was like, hey, there go my name right there, mom. There go my name right there. I'm going to have to look back over those cartoons. I love those cartoons. I still do. Garfield is just the best TV show, I think, out there. It was, it was really fun. And, and the thing is that, again, that was a show that didn't necessarily, even their limited animation required a lot of drawing. You know, you had to really understand how to draw the character. And the character had certain stylistic movements, but it was still really, you know, drawn really well. So, yeah. so that made it really fun. Do you remember the first animated scene you ever done, like professionally? Wow. Yeah, that had to be back in those Carter Mendez days, and the actual first scene. Man, that is a great question because. Oh <laughs> wow! I was working at the spot, and, and I remember um, uh, Lloyd Norman was one of the first, you know. 
African-American story artist. I, he was the first. As a matter of fact, when I went down to Carter Mendez for the first time, I thought Phil Mendez, I remember going there and giving my reel to this big black dude. And uh, and I'm like, okay, where's Phil? I'm expecting Phil to be, you know, this big Latin, Hispanic cat, <laughs> yeah. right? But it was Phil. Yeah. Phil's like, you know, black and Portuguese or whatever. So it was, it was great. And so I, the first, I meet Phil, and then I meet Floyd Norman, and then I meet Leo Sullivan, all three black dudes. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a black studio. <laughs> the first studio I would get to, to, tend to sort of uh, cut my teeth in the business is a black studio. <laughs> so, um, awesome. so that felt really good. Yeah. The first scene I, I remember working on, I remember Leo Sullivan chewing me out. <laughs> so I don't think it was all that great, you know? And, and to be honest, it, I actually had like brain freeze. Like I remember sitting down and animating, realizing that I'm actually getting paid to do this. Yeah. And I remember freezing. I like I remember freezing. I remember my like my, I couldn't draw, and like you know my my drawings look awful, and I couldn't draw the model that they had actually mm -hmm. set up. And Phil Mendes is an incredible draftsman, and he had this really great model sheet, and and I felt like you know. Um, uh, Chris Wall and I think Gary Trousdale, these guys were really sort of getting the hang of, of drawing these characters. And I was just like, I was just completely out of it. I didn't know what, what that was exactly. It was weird. And then, you know, eventually I loosened up after getting chewed out a few times and, <laughs> and kind of got into the groove. But uh, I'm guessing, Sandra, that first scene was pretty awful. <laughs> um, but uh, but it, eventually, really, listen, Chris Wall really was, was key to that because he really helped draw and define that character and, and i always love the way chris used to draw we kind of draw drew similar in a lot of ways so uh so it was easy to pick up his drawing hints and styles and i could sort of follow that because it was a bit simpler and easier yeah um, i mean he was a great draftsman also awesome so i was wondering do you still feel like do you feel like you're still learning and if so what is the most recent thing you've learned wow yes well that's the the, the beauty of animation is that you the industry continues to evolve yeah. and change so quickly that you you do you have to continue to uh, be a sponge in, in this business and um, uh, uh, you know when when I look at a lot of uh, uh, the artists blogs and stuff like that right I I try to pick up little subtle things to sort of keep my pencil young yeah you know and I say that because even the best ones tend to not be completely aware of how their drawings evolve like you can always almost tell like oh wow this version and i love chuck jones i mean i grew up watching those chuck jones shorts and but you can tell that bugs got old with chuck <laughs> like like the, the the drawings really had a tendency to look like a real old man and stuff like that and and, and those paintings probably didn't help a whole lot either you know that he did of, of the warner brothers characters back in like the 80s and 90s and stuff so I, I try to, uh, uh, to to look at a bunch of what uh, the, the younger people are doing and try to pick up little stylized graphic hints. I love drawing stylistically. Like I grew up like loving shows like the Flintstones and the Jetsons, and and so I, for me it was a treasure to see. You know, we've all seen the Disney model sheets, and we know what Milk Calls and Frank Thomas's can do and the Ollies can do, but like an Ed Benedict is somebody who I really love. So when I see those early Flintstone model sheets and those early Yogi Bear model sheets, those are the ones, they speak to me. Yeah. They speak my drawing style and I look at that stuff and I'm like, wow, no one's really doing that. You know, when you look 
and even in Disney folklore, you know, one of the names that, that you probably don't hear of a whole lot is like a Tom Ora, you know, and, mm. and just his drawing style alone helped define a lot of those uh, films of the 50s, the late yeah. 50s and 60s. And, and uh, man, those those model sheets are rare when you find them, when you just, but when you do find them, you find like you found something that's brand new. Yeah. Um, and so I'm such a, a, a fan of that, of those styles in the 60s. And so I see a lot of young artists coming up that, that have a penchant towards um, the obvious, the Mary Blairs and all of that stuff, you know. But but if you dig a little deeper, you can find some real gold that is that, that still speaks original and, and kind of true to this medium. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I mean, I love, you know, we've seen what, you know, CG animation actually do. I mean, listen, I'm... I, I came from the the era of of the golden age of animation, but I love the, the CG stuff. There's a sameness to it. Mm. So when you talk about growth, I look at films like um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs as sort of like you know kind of a style growth. Yeah, definitely. Or or even what Gindy's doing with Hotel T. You know, it's like I see that as a style growth, something that that allows us a, a different take on what. CG animation can actually do. Drawing very much from 2D, both those films, though. And yeah, a lot of people, you know, we know that that CG allows us that sense of realism, you know, and photo yeah. realistic, you know, imagery and all of that stuff. And I, that, okay, that's cool. <laughs> but I think that you know, animation, the boundaries of animation, the, the general principles, the things that that Tex and, and Chuck brought to the table, we have yet to really truly see that in 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 CG. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, that's visually, that's what satisfies and pleases me. I'm not afraid to make a cartoon in this CG world. You know what I mean? I think sometimes we really aim towards uh, trying to replicate live action as much as possible. I like that. In ter- I like the idea in terms of filmmaking style, in terms of what you can do cinematically. But I'm not afraid to be a cartoon. This is this is where we're from. This is, you know, I believe this stuff. So I'm not afraid to... to show that sense of irreverence and, and caricature, true caricature on the screen. And uh, because that's what, that's the joy of this medium really is, is it's a caricature of, of what we see. It's not necessarily duplicating what we see every day. It's true, it's true. I think Presto, Presto got the closest to Tex Avery and that's sort of I thing. love Presto, yeah, yeah, yeah. Presto yeah, so. was great at the time. Yeah. Uh, when, when uh, I remember when that was done and we saw that and I was like, this is amazing, this is beautiful. Like, you know, just the, 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 the real sort of like blur, squash and stretch oh, shapes and stuff like God. that was like, okay, this is, now you're going someplace with this. Yeah. You know, because, you know, it reminded me a lot of like those droopy cartoons. Yeah, know? definitely. Uh, I, I was a huge fan of that. I'm still a huge fan of that. And um, yeah, you're right. I, I think that uh, animation's at its finest when it's not afraid to be an animated film. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the beauty is... It, when you look at a movie like Inside Out, there's that balance of, of real emotions and real true storytelling and a heartfelt story balanced with these really odd stylized characters that are our emotions, but but yet still you are to believe your emotions come out of this really sort of, you know, oddly shaped <laughs> oddly shaped characters. I, that's that's when we're really cooking on all cylinders. Mm, it's true. It's true. I was wondering what would you say are the three most important things you've done to get yourself where you are today? No. Um, you know, I've been myself, 
I guess, is basically what it is. I know that um, I say that because I, I tend to think differently. And and uh, listen, I'm from South Central L.A. I have a lot of ghetto swag. <laughs> and uh, and I'm not afraid to, to sort of let that show. I'm not trying to act like I'm from someplace else. Yeah. Um, so I think in essence that and I keep my ear to the ground in terms of what's what's current and 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 try to keep an eye on on culture and how things shift because because those are the things that actually you can add and to your characters I'm a character animator first yeah. you know what I mean and and, and those are the, the things that I try to bring to animation that I know you know no offense but most of my counterparts are are you know probably not from this country yeah. or, you know, from the most suburban areas, you know, that, that are available to us. You know what I mean? I mean, I didn't grow up with nothing, but I grew <laughs> up with, with, with the concept of nothing, yeah. you know? Um, you know, it's that thing where it's like, you know, you being at home and it's like, mom, can I have an extra cookie? And I was like, no boy, you didn't already ate one. That's good <laughs> for you. It's like, it's a whole pack of cookies over there. And it's like, <laughs> concept of nothing is is was always sort of like available so so and and i kind of grew up you know um, in this area where what i did wasn't necessarily popular and i was kind of the thing is that you flip it i was kind of ashamed growing up to let people know that i'd like to draw really you know i like to draw cartoons and because that wasn't a reality what, what do you do with that yeah. you know in a world where you know you know i i walk around a corner and i'm confronted with crips you know what I mean, and and gang violence, or you know, walk around another corner. And I'm, you know, listen. I, one of the jokes that I always sort of throw out is true story, but but it's like I remember having the realization of not wanting to be a statistic while I was in the backseat of a stolen car with the crowbar. Wow. And, and uh, <clears throat> my buddy of mine, his uncle's driving, and he turns to me and he says, "Uh, so while we're driving." So you still want to do that cartoon thing? Yeah. And I'm like, well, looking at the crowbar, I'm like, well, yeah, because I don't want to do yeah, this. Do this. Yeah. And uh, and he threw this out. He says, uh, man, black people don't do cartoons. And I was like, and I never thought of that. You know, it's like I never thought of animation as being sort of like anything of like any sort of ethnicity involved. As a matter of fact, my mom used to think that. The Flintstones was just like a regular TV show where, you know, the, the, the set, there's a set, and then Red Flintstone goes to his real home after, <laughs> you know, the show's over, yeah, you know what I mean? I just and think that, too. So, uh, so I'm like, well, this is kind of what I want to do, and, and he says, uh, you know, um, you ever see the Flintstones? I'm like, yeah, Flintstones one of my favorite show. He's like, ain't no black people in the Flintstone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I, mean, I guess he's right. <laughs> there is no black people in the Flintstones. He's like, yeah, you see the Jetsons? I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, no black people in the Jetsons either. So I'm like, so what you trying to tell me, my brother? You trying to tell me ain't no black people in the past or the future? <laughs> so I kind of like took that and, and like, well, I want to change that. I mean, I sort of, so I started drawing characters of color growing up, you know. Um, even if they didn't exist on TV, like one of the TV shows I remember growing up watching was like Sanford and Son. So I did my own version of Sanford and Son. I used to draw my own Sanford and Son strip. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? So I found a way to caricature Red Fox and and Lamont Wilson, you know. You know, so so um, so I, right away I had a taste 
for wanting to bring some different characters to the screen. Mm. Um, so I keep that with me. So to go back to your question, it's like, well, you know, I think that that keeps me different from everyone because there's not a lot of African American people in this business. Mm. And I knew that if I kind of stay true to myself, there's going to be things that I add to my animation that is like, you can't necessarily explain, you have to kind of know. So when people see a character like Dr. Facilier, they're like, man, that's he's cool. That's something cool about how he moves and, and how he does this and how he gestures about this and gestures about that. They don't know exactly what that is, but that's just me. Yeah. So being able to get inside of a character for once, that's a major character in a film uh, that is, uh, you know, he's not, he's not going to be Jafar. He's not going to be, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, any of the other villains in any of the other Disney movies that you've seen before, he's going to breathe, walk, talk differently than what you've seen. So I'm offering you up a different performance. Mm -hmm. And uh, so to, I think being able to be myself through the years, giving you those types of characters, whether it be from Baby's Kids or even, you know, a TV show like The Proud Family, yeah. uh, allows allows that ticket to do a character like Dr. Facilier and sort of give you an, another extension of, of what I could bring. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so when you stepped into supervising and directing, did anybody offer up any words of wisdom to you? Uh, let's see, supervising. You know, what's interesting is in the supervising animation realm, uh, it, it was really about uh, making sure that, that your character you couldn't necessarily, it's a, it's a team thing. It's always a team thing. So you really want to understand motivations and the skill set and talent of everyone else around you because you really, not that you want to blend in, but you want to make sure that um, that your animation is sort of like on par with everyone else. Yeah. If you're performing in scenes with everyone, you got to be able to understand how to balance that out. And each moment is not about your moment. Um, I learned a lot of that in, in Emperor's New Groove, I remember, because I had to play Hacha yeah. against, you know, Nick Ranieri's, you know, uh, Llama, Cusco. And so there were scenes where both the Llama and Hacha are in the shot together. But in most cases, it's, it's, a, it's a Cusco scene. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to still be present in the scene and act. As a supervisor, I had to make sure that, that my artists knew when to create your moments in, yeah. a, in a shot, you know, uh, and not step on the actor, you know, that, that whose scene it is and be able to give that platform to that actor. Yeah. So it's not pulling back, you know, but still being present. So you have to rely on your draft draftsmanship skills to understand how to maneuver around the shot and, and, uh, and make that make that character successful. Because if that character is successful, then you've done your job. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for an animator sometimes to get <laughs> him a pencil. He just wants to go. Yeah. You know? uh, mm -hmm. But uh, that and in, in, in those in that movie specifically, because I had to share so much screen time, was mm -hmm. when you really have to understand how to really balance yourself and really know, you know, when to push forward, when to pull back, and then how to manage so many different artists. When we were working on Emperor's New Groove, I must have had about maybe 12 animators up under me at a time. And how do you keep those 12 guys happy? Because <laughs> everybody doesn't want to do crowd scenes, you know what I mean? Yeah. But then you've got animators who aren't capable of anything else but crowd scenes. How do you break that to that guy? Like, you're not ready for this shot yet, you know what I mean? Without them sort of like being, you know, 
screw you. I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this. And then you, you, you give them the shot. They screw it up. And then you have to fix it. So and supervising animators are all out there know what I'm talking about. And they expose that part. And a lot of your time fixing a lot of somebody else's bullshit sometimes. So, um, but, but you want to be able to uh, not put yourself in that position and be able to, you know, be strong enough to lay the hammer to these animators and let them know that, that you want to grow as an artist. Uh, and, and because I'm the guy that's picked to lead you, you got to have the confidence that I actually sort of, I can lead you to where you want to be, but this is a step-by-step -step process and don't be too full of yourself, you know, to, to make that, um, that process happen. I want you to be as successful as you want you to be. Trust me, because we're working on the same character. I don't want the scene to stick out as being, well, that character was weird in that shot there, but he's much better in, in this shot later on. We all have to sort of come to a certain amount of consistency. Yeah, so so it's a matter of, man, it, you know, it's a management position, mm. you know, in most cases as a supervisor, and yet still you still have to push out your 10 feet a week or whatever <laughs> it is. So how do you do that, you know, without pulling your hair out and having to <laughs> dislike you or whatever right yeah, um it, it just it's part and parcel you know with, with the position so that was one of the things i actually sort of learned as a supervisor i like smaller crews mm -hmm. um, when i was working on uh tarzan we had a small crew real efficient crew guys who were really you know uh, up for the challenge because it was a very difficult challenge to draw her check you know and, yeah. and keep him consistent and my guys who was a uh Mark Smith, Rob Pratt, and even Dale Bear, I think, uh, jumped on shots and were, they were fantastic. I mean, they were just a great group of guys. Um, so yeah, supervising offers those challenges, and and uh, but but at the end of the day, I mean, you really enjoy it because you're really on the boards, yeah. um, doing what you you know you really love to do. Uh, directing is a different beast because I'm a different type of director. Well, I like to get my hands dirty with everything, you know, or, or, when I designed all those characters on Bebe's Kids with the help of, you know, Mucci Facet did a lot of stuff. And but for the main characters, I had to jump in and do, you know, we designed that whole thing for TV initially, and then it it somehow from the television concept got boosted into a movie. Um, but but I like jumping in on boards. I like you know storyboarding stuff. I, I, so it's it's hard to delegate a lot, and I had to learn how to delegate a whole lot. Yeah. You know, that time. And that's probably, and I, even on the Proud family, we're doing that stuff and I'm designing those characters and, and then I'll jump in on the boards with the guys and then, you know, we're, we're, we're crafting the animatics together and then I'm jumping in on animation sometimes, you know, I love doing that stuff because it keeps me interested and, and allows me to sort of like, uh, like, I guess the, the best muscles that I have, I, I try to let other people, you know, I don't, you know, the, the, the writing staff on that show was fantastic. I was run by Ralph Farquhar and came up with some great ideas and great stories and stuff and you have to let those people do what they do best <laughs> yeah. you know and then you try to enhance it on the other side and I that the fun was really sort of creating the expression and the animation and, and the attitudes that plus the lines that Ralph was writing you know with the crew with the staff and everything and that was the fun balance because I've always been a fan of television and at that time for me it was like television never it, to have a successful TV show felt like you had to have crude designs to sort of match that your visuals always said had to be sort of like you know crude and 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 to me not as pleasing to the eye as i wanted it to be and i was trying to find that delicate balance of like i want the show to look good and i want it to 
be crazy and <laughs> have fun with these characters and, yeah. and show this cool, you know, diaspora of, of African-American folks that we normally don't get in any kind of TV show or, or any kind of movie like that. You know, it's like, and that's what made that TV show fun. Mm. Directing that was, was that we can do the wildest, craziest, what you would maybe deem as stereotypical person on one side, but then because we've got so many characters that we're doing, we can paint the rainbow of attitudes and, and all the people that you may meet of that certain color or yeah. race or whatever, right? So you balance the world out because that's what this world is made up of anyway. It's yeah, pure it's balance. <laughs> In most movies, we don't get that. You yeah. know what I mean? When you think of any kind of movie that features you know, an African-American or an Asian-American or a Hispanic, you get like that but, one version yeah. of that person because they aren't necessarily spraying the whole movie, mm-hmm. you know, with that whole culture, uh, that whole race of people. So you're going to get a specific version of a black person in a movie, maybe two. <laughs> you now, um, you're going to get a specific person, you know, in the Asian culture, you're going to get a specific person in whatever. Yeah. I, I think now we've advanced far enough in this movie making, you know, world to really paint a, 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 a wider range of, of characters and bring a wider range of characters to the screen that I think can make everyone happy. Yeah. So, you know, that for me, that as a director, that's always the challenge. For me, it's like even in this movie I'm working on now, it's like really finding the spots to, to really give truth to who's going to be involved in helping to tell the story. It's not just going to be one dominant, you know, culture. It's going to be a, a, a wide range of people that's going to be involved because that's how I see the world. That's how I grew up, you know, and I think that it's that, that that's how I want to see these films being made. And actually, to be honest, it always disappoints me when another movie comes out and you know, I'm speaking specifically in animation where it comes another movie and you just don't see that, you know, um, that representation of, of a people, yeah. you know, um, and it's just, it's just disappointing, to, to be honest. It's like, yeah, I, I love Tangled, you know? Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a fun film. It's fantastically animated. It had, it had a great flavor in terms of, of the, the actual animation and the design of the characters. And, and I love the story and the songs are fun. But that's, I'm just going to say that that's a place that doesn't exist, really, Tangled. So it's just some place, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think that it's just wasn't as inclusive as it should have been. I mean, we should have had a wide range of people in that world to help tell that story. Yeah. Uh, that would probably be my only beef against that movie would be that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially coming off of Princess and the Frog, you know, where we kind of had that. You know, we kind of we sort of set up that world and that dynamic of the world. It's a real world, so we put real people in that world to help paint and tell that story. Yeah. I just wish that, that at this point in our industry, I think that I wish that we would be more conscious of being able to be a bit more inclusive when we tell these stories. That's true. Um, and uh, it it would just it would just help me take my kids to the movies. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. I don't want to go see that movie. If they don't see anybody like them in the movies, they're not gonna want to go see that yeah. movie. Yeah. You know? Um, okay, let's go see the sequel to Straight Outta Compton, man. Let's go see that. You know? But but I think truthfully, it's like I think we should be at a place where we can tell those. Can include, you have a bit more inclusion in how we tell these stories. Um, and not even a bit more. Let's just be bold and be, you know, and it's okay. And, and I think one of the things that would actually help that would be you put people in position to remind people 
to be inclusive. I can understand when, you know, when you get an idea and pen hits paper and the first thing you're going to draw is the first thing that you know. Yeah. And if you're, you know, um, uh, a middle-aged white guy, you're going to draw the white people to help you tell the story. I understand that. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I'm thinking if you have people around you who will be bold enough to say, yeah, you know, this character would be great if it was this. Maybe we can have an Asian person here. Maybe we can have, you know, a Latino be this friend here and he can have a bunch of, uh, you know, it's like, it's just simple things like that will just help, you know, um, spark the concept of being a bit more inclusive in the stories that we tell. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so I'm hoping that, you know, we can get to a place where we do that. But I think what, obviously what helps is when you have positions. So, um, so when I'm directing, I'm always thinking about it. I'm yeah. always thinking about who is telling what is this character, and not just painting that character brown or whatever. It's a matter of really giving that character that that soul, that spirit, so you believe that this character actually belongs in this world and not just, you know, somebody who we forgot to paint, you know. So we're just gonna drop some some fun out on this character yeah. and, and you know, make everybody shut up. <laughs> it's not about that. I think it, it, at this point, we, we just need to be thinking much deeper. Yeah. And it's fantastic that you're in a position to be able to do that. And you are definitely a pioneer in that aspect. I've heard it a lot. And I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. So. Well, thanks. I mean, I, I think I, I'm just, I, I just, it's just a way I think. It's not, you know what I mean? It's like, it's something that is not even, doesn't cross my mind. It's just something that I will automatically always do. You know, it's just like, give me an idea, give me a story, okay, I'm just going to draw a black guy. <laughs> yeah. And right away, it's like, I'm going to draw a black girl. Yeah. And I don't, for me, I don't realize how different that all of a sudden makes the story. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, but it's true. It's very true. But that's okay, because now that makes me really investigate it. If I go and I, you know, I remember just the other day and I was just like, um, moving around with a concept that I had for a long time and I made this character, like, you know, like an Asian character. And I realized I made an Asian character, but it... But, but then I started thinking about, okay, i got to really think about who this character is and, and, and what that's going to involve telling a very simple story. Because that character's journey to get, you know, whatever. If he's walking in the hood, and it's a black guy walking in the hood, just hypothetically, and he goes to a liquor store, and the liquor store gets held up. I'm just, hypothetically. The, di- the story's very different. It's if you're a black kid walking in a black neighborhood versus a white kid walking in a black neighborhood versus an Asian kid walking in a black neighborhood. All those stories are going to be different. Yeah. That, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That allows you to not pick from your standard pile of storytelling. Absolutely. And, and it doesn't, it keeps you from trying to solve that story from your standard pile of story solving. <laughs> that, that, that's what we need. We need that type of challenge. And I always love stories that are character-driven. Character-driven, character-driven stories always change your general story. Because there's only, like they always say, there's only seven stories to tell. But, that, but, the, but the expansion of those stories come from character, come from who you are. If you're young, if you're old, if you're this, if you're that. That story changes entirely. Yeah. And I think that, that's, that that challenge will be met with much more interesting stories coming out to shoot for us in the future. We can think that way. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about character, but first I want to get back to something you were talking about with supervising, and you know you've got an animator who's a crowd animator, and there's no such thing as a small shot. But for somebody who's really trying to prove themselves, like what advice would you have to help them stand out? They want to get a you know bigger 
shots. Uh, you know, I guess maybe it's with everything. It's just continued practice. You know what I mean? It's it's a matter of um, you know, you as an animator, sometimes animators study animation, and that's good mm. to be able to study. But you really have to really understand actors and acting and those subtle things that that as an actor what you bring to, to the you know to, to the game to the table. I think uh, for me it's it's. My animation reference stops at like 19, whatever the, the what was uh, Milk Call's last movie was The Rescuers, right? So it stops for there for me in terms of my animation reference, except when we get into like um, the CG era, because I love The Incredibles. Yeah. I just love what, you know, what Brad did with that movie and those characters. And I just felt each of those characters and and uh, the animation was very sophisticated. I mean, that was a game changer in our industry, in our business. I remember walking out of the Washington Incredibles crying that I didn't work on it. Like, I'm pissed, you know? I'm like, this is a great movie, and I'm, I didn't work on this movie. Um, There's number two come up, right? So, you know? Yes, I'm excited. Um, but I think um, when we get into a lot, a lot of Pixar movies, mm. the acting gets much more sophisticated. And I do reference that a lot for animators, but and I love actors like, you know, like, like oh man, Jack Lemmon is an incredible actor. Like, if you can catch a lot of uh, the, a lot of his older stuff, like one of my favorite movies is like The Great Race. I love Jack Lemmon in The Great Race. So a lot of that I tried to bring to Dr. Facilier. Yeah. His Professor Fate stuff was just fantastic. Um, I love Jim Carrey. I love Jim Carrey as an actor. He has so much range and emotion. He is a cartoon character. He's, he's, a, he's a basically he's a walking cartoon. <laughs> I swear, you can study Jim Carrey, and you if you stop motion of his performances, yeah. you'd get animation. Yeah. <laughs> you'd get animation. You'd see all those fundamental animation things that that as an animator you just love. You know, um, I love Paul Giamatti. I love what he does as as a character. I mean, I love Sideways. I love him as Pig Virus in Howard Stern's movie. I mean, um, there's so many things, so many rich things you can get from really great actors. I love George Clooney. Yeah. Um, uh, man, it's just, it, so I really watch a lot of, uh, of, of real actors because that's, we bring those tools to our animation. Um, it, it, that, that, those are the things that make a difference. Those are the things that makes our characters believable. Yeah, um, uh, so I would suggest you know, studying real actors, and you know, now you've got the tools to really sort of work out shots at home. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were a basketball player, it's like you know having your own gym at your house and shooting you know a thousand jump shots a day. You know, you've got all these you know animation programs online that allow you to just simply sharpen up your own skills. Yeah, you know, right. you have to show anybody it's just things that you can sort of show and prove on your own, mm -hmm. and measure it up against you know some of the films that are out there. You know, I mean. Just to go back to the athlete reference, that's what we would do. I mean, you know, I play basketball as a kid or whatever, but what, the only reference you have is what you see on TV or what you go see live and what you do in your own yard. You know what I mean? And and then your imagination takes over. All right, so I'm going to be playing. I'm I'm going to play Will Chamberlain in my mind. I'm going to play, you know, against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in my mind. You know what I mean? And but but that's what you do. At you, I think you do the same thing as an artist. I think you just simply you can pull up so many different concepts uh, with the animation software that's available and just match it up against films that you've seen. Yeah.
it puts you in the ball game. Um, well, talking about keeping things simple, your work on Kurchak was amazing. And you, you expressed so much in that character when he done, like, at the moments where he's doing so little. And as animators, we always just want to go crazy and, and over-animate. <laughs> so you're the perfect person to ask, what is your advice for keeping things simple? Oh, gosh. I love subtlety. Like, I love <laughs> subtlety. So, um, uh, and the beauty in, in CG animation is that you're allowed to be as subtle as you need to be. Yeah. You couldn't do that. If you didn't have the draftsmanship skills and, and hand-drawn, you, it's hard to yeah. be subtle. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I tried like hell to... And listen, I was going up with Glenn Keane and... You know Ken Duncan and all these really great animators, and I so I'm an athlete, you know I'm like I'm sort of competitive by nature. It's like it's like the athlete in me, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I see it as kind of like a challenge in that sense, right? So I'm looking at I remember looking at um, uh, Glenn Keane's like animatic boards for when Tarzan met Jane for the first time. Amazing boards, just if you ever see those boards, they're amazing when they're cut together in an animatic sense. They're so touching, like you don't need animation, like like. Glenn nailed it just from the two hands touching and the expressions on the characters' faces. It's like it's 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 beauty, right? In motion, it's, it's that's what it, that was, and you knew right away when I saw that. I remember when I first came on and Evan and Chris were showing that sequence to us, and right away I was like, "Oh shit, this is like real!" Like you know, it's going down, it's going down right now. So I had to really like understand that. Okay, that's the nature of what we're up to and what we're doing. Yeah. Now I'm working on a character that. You know, he's kind of the, the, the stepfather here. And so you had to be able to pull off a lot of his thoughts on Tarzan in his mind. Mm -hmm. You had to keep his mind stirring and his eyes stirring and everything was in his eyes. Mm -hmm. So I remember when I first created the model for Kerchak and they had all these lines in the eyes and bags underneath and just the big brow. And, and I remember my assistant Tracy Lee came and he says, you know, um, with his country accent, you know, can we, uh, that, that Atlanta accent, uh, can we, uh, can we eliminate some of this line work right here on the these eyes? And I'm like, hell no. Like, no. like, we need all of this to yeah. be able to, to crack these, the subtle expressions project that we're going to need to help, you know, uh, finesse this character. Um, because he doesn't have, he don't have, a, he doesn't have a whole lot of lines. And a lot of his uh, reactions are going to be very subtle. I did this joke model sheet of Kerchak and all these different expressions. You know, happy, sad. It's all the same. It was all the same, right? <laughs> and, uh, and you had to understand that that's, that's the character that we're dealing with yeah. here. So we needed all these lines because what happens is, as an animator, when you get into drawing this face and then there's subtle lines that are moving, mm. you know he's ticking. You know there's something that's ticking. You know that he's thinking. Think the wheels are rolling here when he's trying to digest who Tarzan is, you know? Mm. When it's first being presented to him by Kala, there's things that you do. And then naturally, when I got into animating, I did some broader, some a bit broader stuff too. But, but I think to set up the, the broad nature, I knew how far I could go. I had to really create and design this character that was able, able to handle a, a certain emotions without a whole lot of animation. Yeah. There'd be a whole lot of tracebacks and all of this stuff. But you had to make sure that, that, the, that the character was believable. He had to stay alive. And, and so, no, we had to design him that way. And so in designing a lot of those scenes, 
or the design of that character, I, I thought about a lot of those scenes when he was going to meet Jane for the first time. And, and again, it's like the, the board just says simply, when you look at the storyboard, it suggested that he looks at Jane and he kind of growls, right? He kind of goes. But I know, just from where I'm from, it's like, if you look at somebody before you're about to go nuts on them, <laughs> it's happening. I mean, it's like, you kind of look at them up and down. <laughs> so the up and down look that I gave her check to Jane was just something that I just kind of, again, brought on me, yeah. knowing that, okay, this is what I would do, you know? And he kind of looks at her up and down, you know, and then just lets out this huge growl. And that, for me, that was subtle, and that was the scene that you thought he was, you got the process that he's taking her in. Yeah. He's thinking about who is this human, you know, in my space right now. Yeah. And uh, for me, stuff like that just makes it fun, you know. It's like that, that brings the attitude, that brings uh, everything that you need without being completely over the top about it. Yeah. Cool. So which of your characters did you feel was the toughest to relate to? Probably uh, out of all the characters I've done, uh, probably Earl, I guess, from Home on the Range. Maybe because I love the design and stuff. I think Joe Mosier did a great job at designing those characters. Um, um, I just didn't believe in the film as much. You know, uh, it was tough because the first time I jumped on it, it was amazing. It was before I jumped on it, actually. It was when Mike Gabriel and Mike Giamo had Sweating Bullets, and it was a balls-out Western. Yeah. You know, and this is uh, like right on the heels of Unforgiven, where we're like, okay, great. We get to get to do a Western, and, you know, this is going to be fantastic with, with guns and, <laughs> and, you know, and, and it was great. It was ghosts and all this yeah. cool stuff. And so by the time I actually finished the first new group, it turned into Home on the Range, you know, and I was like, okay, what is this? Three cows. <laughs> yeah. Earl is kind of, she kind of runs his farm, and, okay, and I just, it just, a lot of it just wasn't completely believable to me, and I love the directors. Mm. I understand mm. what everybody was working from at that point, when, when the whole sort of rug got pulled yeah. up under us, and it was hard for all of us to kind of rectify what this, what it truly was. Um, but that was probably the one character that I was just kind of like, oh, you know, I mean, I, I, but again, as an animator, you, you soak up the concept of, okay, I can draw really well and I can get into these shots. And, you know, I remember a couple scenes where I was playing against, uh, who at the time was probably an up and comer, Sandro Cluzo, who's an amazing animator. He's on the up and coming now? I, I, yeah, thought, he, I thought he always had it. Yeah. At that time, no, it was his first time getting a lead on a character. Oh, okay. and he was this, but, and he did a magnificent job. He did the, you know, the, yeah. the Sandro job. And it was great because I was playing against him in a couple of shots. So I want to make sure, again, the competition, <laughs> I mean, he's matching, you know, what Sandro's bringing. Yeah. It's great. So so that makes it fun. So I can always find fun in a, in a character and, and make it worthwhile, you yeah. know, doing it. I, I rarely, I can't think of a time where I just mailed in a performance. That's no yeah. fun. You know what I mean? I, this is fun. I mean, like, what we do for a living is, we're blessed to do this for a living. It's fantastic. So. Yeah. Um, I think even in the worst of times, and mind you, you know, like Home on the Range was not even nearly the worst of times. <laughs> like, like I'm under filmation, okay? So that tells you, like, you know, how far back uh, in the worst of times type of situation. I remember working at filmation. I was doing assistant work. This was the reason why I went to work at filmation was because I did not want to go to Ireland. <laughs> it was raining in Ireland. 
with Bluth and Company, and uh, and it was I remember myself and Will Finn and Chris Wall. We were like because we really loved what we were doing, you know, with with Don and stuff. But we just cr- kind of creatively didn't agree with a lot of choices, whatever. And so uh, we decided, you know, that Filmation is is probably a nice option right now. Now Filmation was doing like. E-Man and She-Ra, Princess of Power, and all this I stuff, those and, which I'm sure the younger generation probably loves. I people that are actually probably doing those those uh, projects were probably drunk in a bar at lunchtime. <laughs> yeah. Guilty, guilty, yeah. uh, and bitching and complaining about I gotta draw She-Ra. Yeah. I gotta do in betweens for some, you know, a-hole animator who. <laughs> He's making twice as much as me doing nothing. I'm doing all of his work. Yeah. Um, I remember Will Finn and myself and Chris, we (laughs) used to lament about that while drinking Singapore slings and, like, (laughs) some dive. You know what I mean? (laughs) So funny. But, but again, like, hey, but I'm making drawings for a living. You know, I'm getting paid and... And, and this is fun, and it'll all get better one day, you know? <laughs> so I always kind of kept that mentality, and, and it did. I mean, you know, it was, it was fun. It was I love that. It'll all get better one day, and keeping your pencil young. You're giving me some great stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> so funny, man. But, yeah, I remember those times. It's so funny. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so Tilt, Rhythm, and Twist was Glenn's thing, and I was wondering what do you feel are some of the points in making great appealing poses? Oh man, you know, when Glenn said that, it was something that that was sort of unspoken. Mm. It's like it was like an unspoken thing, and how I kind of approach characters and stuff. Like, like for instance, I kind of, I still kind of like the, the TV mentality. I remember when I got into TV and we were, you know, doing character designs and stuff, and and there was a tendency in TV to just draw these characters kind of straight up and down. Yeah. You know, and they were always devoid of of any personality or anything like that. So, and I always like felt that was weird. And so I used to always, like, even when I'm just composing an idea, concept of a character, I always did that. Like, I always did that in my head. I always added a tilt to the head or a twist or, you know, and never gave you the straight rendition of that character. I mean, I wish I, and my, I, at some point, I'll post some of my old, like, maybe it's kids model sheets where it's like, I did, like, that's how I was drawing those characters, like, straight up with attitude out the box, not yeah. just trying to give you that model. So it wasn't until Glenn spoke that where I was like, that's exactly, you're exactly right. That's exactly what it is. That tilt rhythm twist is something that just always stuck in my, like, I guess, animation hygiene. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, It it allowed your drawings to sort of like have a life to them. and it's, but it's easy. Even I see a lot of designs even today where it's like sometimes I see stuff and guys will deliver stuff and it's still kind of straight up and down. Yeah. And I'm like, well, let's give this guy some attitude. Let's, you know, even within his face, you know, let's, you know, break off some of that symmetry. You know what I mean? It's uh, that bugs me a lot. A lot of times when I look at like movie posters, and I know that, you know, the animators know the general, you know, to stay away from, you know, symmetry and all that stuff. But man, when you look at these movie posters, it's like. You know, eyeballs even, smile even, yeah. black face right on the screen, <laughs> and like, and it's just so unappealing. I'm sure it's not what that character is, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, you always, it's a mantra. Like every artist should keep that with them. It's like when you get that puppet to pose, 
you know, and, and you all should you always should think that way. It's just trying to generate your poses and stuff. Always look at that pose and make sure that you're not starting with this character straight up all the time, or make sure that everything is not matched. And it's just the weirdest thing. But but I remember the only other time I actually saw that that, that sort of like since that the twist thing was in the the, the Bible, the the animation Bible, the Walt Disney you know uh, book where. They always had that that image of, of Mickey, and I forget who did it, and it was like the standard Mickey, and it was like, avoid symmetry, and then the next one <laughs> was just him on the ground, and the the the, uh, the sound effect on the ground is path, right? And we used to, me and my uh, college roommates, we used to always do that. we look at each other's drawings, and we would just go, <laughs> And that would tell us right away, it's like, no, do you draw like that? It'll interesting, and, you know, half that. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, that was always something that stuck with us. But I was so glad that Lynn said that because now there's something to hold on to yeah. that's tangible, that's an actual phrase that you can actually sort of throw into the universe. And as an artist, you always have that. Like, like appeal is something I'm, I'm told to say, and I know, is that you can't teach it. It's an unteachable thing. You have to kind of have that. It's, it's just inherited in your artistic backpack. You know what I mean? It's like. It's something that you always carry with you no matter what. Somebody says, draw something right there on the spot. You will always sort of, you know, get into that whole, that sticks in your head. It sticks in your arm. It sticks in the rhythm of, yeah. uh, of how you draw. So it's something that if you don't inherently have it, you always have to think about it. And that's good, too, that you're always thinking about it. You're always being aware because at some point it'll just end up sticking in your repertoire. So, yes, live by that. <laughs> Die by that. I am. <laughs> Um, how do you approach shots that you're intimidated by? Oh, man. Um, I hold off on them. You know what I mean? I, uh, I'll wait a long time to do those shots. Yeah. You know, it's like, because that happened, I think, even on um, Tarzan, I remember there was some real heavy action shots that I had to do with Kerchak. And I just had to hold off on those shots until I really knew who this character was. And I really could understand how to draw this character without cheating. Because, you know, it's like all the animators cheat, you know. I mean, we know the cheats and stuff like that. We can always sense them. And I just didn't want to get busted right off the bat. You know, <laughs> we're like, oh, I don't believe that shot. That's kind of, you didn't really draw the leg right. And, you know, it's like, I, so you, you I, I kind of hold off on them as, uh, until I have as much information as possible. Um, but, I mean, listen, as an animator, you do want those challenges, too. Yeah, you look forward to those really tough shots and, you know, um, uh, and... Uh, to be honest, I don't think I've ever met a shot that was too tough that I couldn't handle. That I probably didn't make tougher myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, I can even overcomplicate this. <laughs> not that you would be successful, but at least you're not completely afraid of the challenge, yeah. you know what I mean? And you you sometimes find that the most simplest way to do something is the yeah, best yes. anyway. Um, and, <laughs> uh, yeah, so eventually you're going to have to deal with it so it's just it's going to be a part of of what you do and also sometimes your crew your supervisor they look at that you know what i mean like they look to see okay i see bruce is just doing all the mid shots mm-hmm. he's doing all the medium close-ups he's not handling all the tough shots of you know dr facility here he's not handling all the tough shots of, you have to as a supervisor continue to prove to your crew that you are you exactly who you are yeah. so they're watching you close so um so yeah, it's it's a must do at some point. So yeah, if you're not ready for it, you can wait, be patient. But at some point, you know they're gonna be watching. Yeah, so, have to do it. <laughs> Jump in.
Okay, let me jump in, dude. What to you is the secret of animation? Wow. To this day, I think that we have yet to, to tell stories that get us out of this genre of being a kid's... We're not even a genre. It's like, a, to get us out of this thing of being a kid's medium, basically. So, the, the secret is you get really... Somebody's going to tell a story that is going to be, you know, what they call four quadrant, you know, storytelling that speaks more to the adult level than it does to the child. Mm. Like, you know, there's something, you know, Pixar is pretty close to cracking that, you know, with movies like Inside Out and, and The Incredibles and stuff like that, right? Um, because it's real true general fare, you know? I remember that little, they were bawling the right there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's good when you can really sort of have that emotional level and emotional connection with an animated film that doesn't require you to, to lower your level of sensibility, you know what I mean, or, or whatever. Um, I just think that somebody's going to do it one day. Somebody's going to do some true adult. And not, and when I say adult, I don't yeah. mean, you know, porn. I, I say that honestly because I was in a Disney-like uh, town hall meeting one day, and I... Remember boldly raising my hand when it was like in the middle of a questionnaire and, and they were telling us, they were showing us the whole sort of like, you know, lay of the land, what we're going to be doing for the next five, six years or whatever. And I remember raising my hand saying, hey, you know, I have a question. And Peter says, yes. He says, you know, I see all these movies here and, and I think it's good. And they, they, you know, it's great. We're all going to be working. We all are going to be successful. But have we ever thought about like maybe producing a more uh, 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 adult fair, you know, and maybe like, since we're trying to protect the brand here, maybe we can release it under one of the other labels like Touchstone or Miramax we had at the time, or even, yeah. you know, to kind of like venture out in, yeah. in terms of like more adult storytelling. Mm. And that was met with in front of, you know, four whole, people or whatever, yeah. right? Uh, well, Bruce, if you're asking us, are we interested in producing porn? <laughs> right? And I was like, yeah, okay, great, you know, I, I am. Here I am, this guy, I'm that guy all of a sudden. Right? I, go, I understood what you meant, straight up. You know what I'm saying? So nobody gets that. Like, I don't understand why, you know, there's this really weird black and white nature of what's for kids and what's for adults. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the secret is, as soon as we figure that out, this medium will explode. You know what I mean? There's always this real blurry line in terms of what's an animated film and what isn't right now, in terms of all these live action films that use so much animation, you know, that it can be classified as an animation film. But who wants to be classified as an animation film? Because we the ghetto. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're we're the ghetto of all of this. We're like the redheaded stepchild that does good <laughs> every once in a while. Right? <laughs> so who wants to be associated with that little redheaded stepchild? It, yeah, it's, it, it sucks. But I think once we actually do that, and this medium, I'll be like, oh, happy day, because now you get to tell stories <laughs> yeah. that would be more inclusive and, and or can play on multiple levels. And, and now we can really get sophisticated with the animation. And, and I'm waiting for that day to happen. Hopefully I'm alive <laughs> and actually still able to produce these things, make things when, when that happens. You know what I mean? You're I'll be cheering from, from, a, from, a, uh, from an old folks home with a, <laughs> sipping from my bedpan. Probably when that happens. <laughs> oh, you got time. You got plenty of time. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's really the secret for us. I think 
you get into this sameness. Like, like there's, we have so many different studios now that are now in the game of producing animated fare, but we all seem to dip from the same kettle, yeah. you know? And I think uh, somebody's going to be bold enough to sort of create another bucket, and uh, and it'll be like that's fantastic. That movie's made a lot of money. It's not a kids' movie. Let's do this now. Now all of a sudden, it, you know, there's been some shift in how we tell stories, and that that'll just be a great day. That'd be awesome. <clears throat> I could talk to you all day. Um, I know. Like I think it's fun. I rarely get to sort of speak my yeah. mind like this, and I probably <laughs> get tortured when this thing comes out. But uh, but no, listen. Hey, uh, look. At this point. You know, I, I'm if, if if there are people out there hearing it that agree, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've got tons of artists out there who will be like, yes, I'm ready to work on something that's not necessarily for my, you know, three-year-old yeah, for once. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, I've heard it a lot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I mean, that's really all it's about. I mean, it's just yeah. let's open up this envelope a bit. Yeah, that's cool. Can I ask you one more question before we? Yes, can. Um, what is the greatest piece of advice anybody ever gave you, and who is it from? Oh gosh! <laughs> they get harder. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, you know, I guess my mama. Yeah. My mama, she was real nervous when uh, when I decided to become an animator. She didn't know what it was. So her whole thing was like, "Boy, don't you become no starving artist." That's kind of what it is, you know what I mean? I got that and too. <laughs> I like I always keep that with me, you know. Honestly, it's like I cannot, you know, if 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 it's I'll starve doing this myself. But the truth of it is, well, no, I can't say that because then I already get lowballed in this business already <laughs> in terms of my paycheck and stuff like that. But but it's like the truth of it is, I'd be doing this if this were Seven Eleven wages. I'd be doing it, you know what I mean? Because uh, there's such a love that I have for this medium. And that's why when you have such love, you want to see it do better, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and I think we we still have that ability, and we have such an influx of really great young artists, you know, that come from everywhere now and are being influenced by, uh, uh, you know, our culture continues to change and shift, and they're being influenced by that, and I think you see that in a lot of the artwork and stuff. Yeah, definitely. So... Uh, uh, I think you'll see less and less of starving artists, I think, if they took my mama's advice. Um, <laughs> but I advice. think that that's that's really what sticks out to me is my mom always in my ear, yeah. you know, even at this age. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Wise lady. Right? Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> well, I guess we both have to go. But I, I want to thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I, I had such an amazing time talking to you. I was so nervous. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, cool. Hey, let's do it again sometime. Yeah. I would love to. I would love to because I've got so many more questions. <laughs> you interviewed me from, like, yeah, from uh, from that hospital room. Like, <laughs> the bed bed I can give you, like, the next 20 years of what happened. <laughs> um, Cool. Thank you again. Thanks so much, Sandra. Thanks for reaching out, and this has been fun. Trust me, I've enjoyed this. I appreciate it. And all the best. I, I can't wait to see what you're working at at Paramount. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you. Take care. Bye. All right, bye-bye.